When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Dead America, New Mexico. Dead America, the second week, book nine. Written by Derek Slayton. Narrated by P.J. Morgan. Chapter one. Day zero plus twelve. Sergeant Danny Hammond slapped the satellite communication device on his vest as it chirped loudly. Mrs. Hammond, who is this and what can I do for you? He asked gruffly. Sergeant Hammond, it's Leon. How are you, sir? A voice came through. The bald and stocky sergeant smiled. Hey, Leon, good to hear your voice, brother. What's going on? Oh, you know, man, just another morning preparing for the inevitable shit parade that's coming my way, Leon replied. Hammond barked a laugh. Wouldn't have it any. He was abruptly cut off from a hail of gunfire and popped up over the trunk of the car to squeeze off a few rounds before ducking back down. Wouldn't have it any other way, would you? He finally said. Was that, was that gunfire? Leon asked. The sergeant wrinkled his nose. Yeah, it was. Is everything okay? His friend asked. Hammond rolled his eyes. Oh yeah, everything's peachy, he replied as more gunfire echoed around him, plinking off the cars nearby. Jesus Christ, Landry, can you shoot that motherfucker already? He screamed and there was a few cracks of automatic gunfire in response. Man, I'm sorry, Leon, but we might have to cut this convo short. Is there anything specific you need? Yeah, I could really use your help if you plan on coming back towards El Paso in the near future, Leon replied immediately. More gunshots, and somebody cried out for help, seemingly struck. Well, as you can tell, we're having some fun out here, Hammond said dryly. But if you got something that can top this, I'm listening. We're planning to assassinate the head of the Rivas cartel and install one of our allies as the leader, Leon explained. A massive smile broke out on the sergeant's face, and he chuckled. Private Emma Whitaker furrowed her brow from beside him, adjusting the assault rifle slung over her muscular shoulder. What's so funny, Sarge? Our friend Leon wants our help assassinating the leader of the Rivas cartel, Hammond explained. Whitaker grinned and clenched a fist in solidarity. Tell him, fuck yeah, I'm in. She popped up over the hood of the car and popped off a few rounds. I think you got yourself a crew, the sergeant said into his communicator. Good to hear, Leon replied. In the meantime, though, Hammond said quickly, I'm gonna have to jump off of here. I'll give you a buzz when we're on our way. Be safe and have fun, Leon said. Hammond grinned at the vicious look on Emma's face 
as her black ponytail whipped back and forth. Always, brother, he said, and then slapped the communicator to shut it off. He peeked up over the car, checking out the city street they'd been firing down. Private Bert Landry poked his head out from behind a pillar across the street, giving the sergeant a thumbs up as he readied his assault rifle. Hammond surveyed the half-dozen armed men, peeking at them from their own vantage points down the street, a few unlucky bullet-riddled bodies slumped between them. More bullets peppered the car he and Whitaker hid behind. Landry, cover us, the sergeant cried, and the blonde, muscular private leapt out from his hiding spot, firing wildly at their attackers. The suppressing fire gave Hammond and Whitaker a chance to retreat a bit, and they waited for the private to follow. Hammond laid down some cover fire, but his subordinate didn't move. What the fuck, Landry, he cried. We gotta move back. The private shook his head. Hang on, Sarge, I got an idea. Shit, Hammond growled. Last time you said that, we ended up in a goddamn firefight. Yeah, but it wasn't this one, Landry shot back. Whitaker smacked her fist against the pillar she crouched behind. Fuck you, I said I was sorry. Landry and Hammond shared a laugh at her plight, and then the bulky private turned back to the battle. He took aim at the glass front of a department store, housing several zombies pressed up against the windows, clawing and gnawing, trying to get out. Landry fired into the glass, shattering it and freeing the hungry ghouls from their prison. One of the still alive attackers cried out as a shard of glass embedded itself into his calf and he dropped his gun as he fell to the ground, screaming and clutching at his spewing wound. A trio of zombies fell on top of him, hungry teeth gnashing as his cries of pain turned to shrieks of fear, and then more pain as he was eaten alive. Two of the man's comrades valiantly attempted to free him, but a zombie managed to snatch one of their wrists, sending him into a panic as he vanished under a mass of rotting flesh. His friend fled immediately. Landry rested his assault rifle on his shoulder and whistled as he strolled across the street towards his companions. See, Sarge, I know what I'm doing. As soon as the words left his mouth, a few bullets hit the ground in front of him, and he dove behind the Swiss cheese car that the other two had been ducked behind earlier. Hammond peeked out to see at least another dozen men coming at them from the opposite side of the street. Whitaker slunk up the sidewalk, narrowly avoiding another bullet that ricocheted off of a metal trash can next to her. The sergeant opened fire, not hitting anyone, but at least forcing them to duck behind cover. Bullets tore through the wood post he hid behind, and he covered his head as splinters flew everywhere. He took off for the car Landry ducked behind, firing wildly in an attempt to cover himself, and dove headfirst to the ground at the private's feet. Landry pulled him flush against the vehicle. Graceful, Sarge. Hammond popped the mag out of his assault rifle and pursed his lips at its emptiness. He glanced at the several moaning zombies, slowly making their way towards them. Hey, Landry, the sergeant motioned to the closest one, a middle-aged looking man missing most of his cheek. Would you mind? It's your fault they're here. The private turned and shot the creature in the head taking down the two flanking it. We can't stay here too much longer, or else we're gonna have to deal with some runners, he said, as he motioned towards the bulk of the zombies, still feasting on their enemies. Never a dull moment, 
Hammond muttered, and squeezed a small walkie-talkie on his vest. Whitaker, we gotta get the fuck out of here. You got eyes on transport? Negative, Sarge, she replied, emerging from her hiding spot to pop off several rounds towards the new group, managing to plug one in the chest. I got nothing, unless you want to fight through this group. I can see something on the- Screeching tires cut her off, sounding like they were about two blocks away. Incoming SUV at three o'clock, could use some help with this, she demanded as a new vehicle peeled around the corner and screamed towards her. Hammond and Landry readied their guns, and another voice came through the radio. Got it in my sights, Private Alfonso Mathis came through with his deep baritone. Be ready to move on my mark. About damn time you joined the fight, Mathis, Hammond barked staring up at the sniper barrel poking out of the window on the second floor above Whitaker's hiding spot. My apologies, Sergeant, Mathis replied coolly. I was hit in the head when this shindig got started, so had to play catch up. The SUV screeched to a stop, not 30 yards from Whitaker's trash can, and the driver's side door swung open. As soon as the driver stepped out, a single shot ripped through his forehead, Men half out of the other doors panicked, one of them firing wildly, not seeming to know where the original shot came from. Mathis quickly put one in that guy's chest, and the other two ducked, finally figuring out where he was. They forced him behind cover, and he ran through the empty building to get closer to the vehicle, all while wood and glass splintered and shattered around him. In the next room, he slid to a stop against the far wall, and inched up to peek through the window, noting that the men were still firing at the area he'd been at before. Two shooters behind the SUV, he said quietly into the walkie-talkie. I got a shot on one, but they're on to me. Whitaker returned fire from behind her trash can. I'll take care of the other one, move on my mark. Landry and I will provide cover fire, but you're gonna have to come pick us up, Hammond added. Whitaker nodded. 10-4, Mathis, you ready? The sniper got down on one knee and took aim at the man hiding behind the back of the SUV. Say when? Now, Whitaker cried and sprinted out from cover as Mathis fired a high-powered round into the armed man, liquefying his face. Whitaker rushed the second one, distracted by his friend, and she hit him in the throat easily. She skidded next to the SUV as a few of the others took notice of her and began to fire, but Landry and Hammond gave her a clear path with their suppressing fire. Mathis hopped through the window he perched at, flipping around and hanging off of the ledge, dropping to the ground. He stumbled a little, but regained his footing and ran to the SUV, making sure his gun was still securely on his back. Whitaker hopped into the driver's side, the keys thankfully still in the ignition. I'm in, go, Mathis cried as he threw himself into the back seat. She threw the car into gear and sped off towards the other two as her passenger began firing out the back window with his handgun. She slammed on the brakes next to the cover car. Someone call a taxi? She asked with a grin. Chapter Two Landry opened the back door and shoved the sergeant inside before leaping in himself. Go, 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 he screamed. Whitaker punched the gas and sped off. Where are we going? Hammond asked as he sat up straight, Matha's elbow bonking his shoulder as he continued to fire behind them. Whitaker shrugged. I don't know, north? 
Very insightful, Private, the sergeant said wryly. Well, fuck if I know, Sarge, she said. I just saw a road out of town, so I took it. Mathis, satisfied they weren't being followed, faced front and leaned forward. Can someone tell me what in the holy hell happened back there? One minute we're having a few drinks, I go to the head, and then when I'm midstream, fucking World War III breaks out. God damn it, I said I was sorry, Whitaker snapped. Mathis shook his head. Well, I ain't accepting your apology until you tell me what- Gunfire peppered the back of the SUV, and the trio of passengers glared back at two approaching vehicles, skidding onto the road behind them. Persistent motherfuckers, ain't they? Landry drawled as he rolled down his window. Hammond rolled down the other side, climbing over Mathis, who was squeezing off rounds through the back. Get in the center of the road, the sergeant yelled, and Whitaker complied, driving over the yellow line so they could get better aim as they hung out with their assault rifles. A bullet whizzed through and shattered the front windshield, and she glanced at where the side mirror had been just a moment ago. Y'all gonna handle this, or do I need to get my fucking gun too? she demanded. One of Hammond's bullets landed on the left front tire of one of the pursuers, and they tried to regain control, but the vehicle went sideways, violently rolling over at the speed they'd been going. The gunner from the passenger window was squashed underneath the roof and then flung out into the ditch like a rag doll. Fly, bitch, fly, Hammond screamed, smacking the side of the door with glee. The SUV lurched to the left as one of the back tires exploded, and the sergeant was thrown into the vehicle. He grabbed Landry's belt and jerked him inside too, as Whitaker, thankfully a much better driver than their pursuers, managed to stabilize them fairly quickly. Hang tight, she called. Sharp turn up ahead. Hammond braced himself. Whitaker, speed up. Are you fucking crazy? She snapped. Just get some distance between us the sergeant urged. We're gonna light this motherfucker up when he comes around. She shook her head and hit the gas. Rubber flung off of the back tire, and sparks kicked up behind them. Hammond and Landry reloaded and readied themselves. They're slowing down, Mathis warned. Whitaker, slow up and take the turn gently, Hammond said. They're backing off for a reason. Landry, get in the front. The private clambered into the front passenger seat and rolled down the window keeping his assault rifle at the ready for whatever they were about to come upon. As Whitaker turned, her eyes widened at the sight of a makeshift barricade in the middle of the road, a small town beyond. Sarge! Hammond turned to face front. Let's hope they're friendlier than the last town. She slammed on the brakes as a bullet hit the front of the vehicle, lurching them all forward with the momentum. As their pursuing vehicle came around the corner, Hammond dove out and opened fire on them, and they quickly swerved and took off, speeding away. He rested the rifle on his shoulder and turned towards the barricade, cupping a hand around his mouth. We are not going to hurt you, provided nobody takes another shot at us. Any objections to that? There was no movement whatsoever. I'll take the lack of a firefight to mean you accept my terms, he bellowed, and then slapped the hood of the SUV. Pull it forward, Whitaker. He strolled beside the vehicle as it scraped alongside him, the bare rim grinding against the asphalt. Two young men emerged from behind the barricade, looking barely old enough to drink, if at all. The shorter of the two, pale with fear in his eyes, held his hands up high over his head. 
We're sorry, sir, we thought you were with them, he said. The taller one nodded his agreement, swallowing hard. We just saw the SUV, and this town has had enough. Settle down, boys, it's all good, Hammond replied, putting his hand up to show them it was okay. You didn't shoot any of us, and this big bitch was trashed before your bullet hit. Thank you, sir, the short one stammered. I'm Andy, and this here is my friend Marshall. The sergeant smiled warmly. Well, it's nice to meet you boys. I don't suppose there are any grown-ups we could talk to, are there? Before either of them could answer, a shrill voice cried. Why is there gunfire? It belonged to a middle-aged, balding, mixed-race man that sauntered towards them on a thin frame. Oh my God, what have you boys done now? Dutch is gonna send Diego up here for sure. A pretty Latina woman joined him, lean but fitter looking than the man. As they approached, the privates got out of the vehicle. Calm down there, Kimasabi. There's no harm done, Hammond said gently. No harm? The man threw his hands up. You don't have any idea what you've done. You've killed this community, bringing violence to our doorstep. The sergeant shifted his weight to one hip. In our defense, we didn't exactly set out to get into a gunfight today. Oh yeah, then why are you carrying so much firepower? The man sneered. Hammond shrugged. I don't know, cause it's the apocalypse and this is Marika. Do we need another reason? The woman put a hand on the wiry man's shoulder before he could open his mouth again. Simon, it's okay. These people obviously aren't from around here, so they don't know about Dutch and the Silver City Gang. Silver City Gang? Landry asked. What the fuck is this, the 1890s? The woman rolled her eyes. Dutch sure thinks it is. Who the hell is Dutch? Mathis asked. I'll tell you about him and the gang, but why don't you come inside our defensive line? She invited. It's not much, but we've had several attacks the last couple of days, and it's kept us safe. Hammond nodded. Thank you, ma'am, we appreciate it. You can drop the ma'am stuff. She pointed a finger at him. We're very informal around here. You can call me Sophia. All right, Sophia, the sergeant replied. I'm Sergeant Danny Hammond. This lanky fellow here is Private Alfonso Mathis. The human wrecking ball is Private Bert Landry. And our demolition derby driver here is Private Emma Whitaker. She nodded and smiled at each of them in turn. Welcome to the town of Pinos Altos. There wasn't much here when the world was working, and there's even less now. Going to be nothing once Dutch is done with us, Simon muttered, and Sophia glared at him. Whitaker hopped the barricade and landed gracefully next to the woman. So who is this Dutch fella? I mean, besides a raging douchebag who thinks something like the Silver City gang is something this world needs. He was the mayor of Silver City, Sophia explained as she began to lead them into town. Always used to walk around in boots and a cowboy hat like he owned the place. Let me guess, ten gallon hat, but a thimble full of brains? Landry joked. Sophia wrinkled her nose. Thimble might be generous. Only reason he got the job in the first place was because his dad had it before him. Family money bought off his opponent in the first race, and nobody ever challenged him after that. Doesn't sound like he's gonna be too tough, Mathis piped up. She shook her head. Don't underestimate him. He has a lot of influence and followers, so he may be a cream puff, but the men who follow him are not, especially Diego. Let me guess, right-hand man willing to do anything to win favor with the mayor? Hammond asked. She nodded. 
He's ruthless. He was the sheriff in Silver City before the dead came back. Once he got the green light from the mayor to clean up the streets, he did just that. Unfortunately, it didn't stop with just the undead. She took a deep breath. He killed rivals. His deputies hunted down anyone they deemed a threat. Half the survivors in this town escaped that hell. I know many who were not as lucky. And we thought we were finally safe before you came a-knockin', Simon growled. Sophia glared at him. That's enough. They may not have been shooting at us anymore, but they've been starving us out for a week. The wiry man winced. Any idea how big the gang is? Hammond asked. She crossed her arms. Dozens, maybe even a hundred. Christ, Sarge, that's an army, Landry exclaimed. Yeah, an army that you pissed off and brought to our town, Simon snapped. How did you manage to start a war anyway? Mathis raised an eyebrow at Whitaker. I'm a little curious about that myself. Yeah, this one is on me, she said dryly, raising her hand as if she were a school kid in trouble. There was a moment of silence in which the couple sized up the female private. Well, go on, Whitaker, don't leave him in suspense, Hammond said. She shot him a glare and then sighed. Okay, we rolled into town this morning, looking for a place to crash. It had been a wild few days, and we really needed a good night's rest. When we got to town, we were shocked to see that it still had some functioning businesses still open. One of the very few benefits of living in the middle of nowhere, Sophia agreed. Whitaker nodded. Right, well, we were still wound up from the night before and were ecstatic when we saw that they had a bar open. Everything was cool when we went in, people just assuming we were new members of the gang or something. This lasted approximately a drink and a half. Given your beauty and the fact that you're a woman, let me guess, Sophia raised a finger. Someone decided to put the moves on you. The private wrinkled her nose. Sounds like you've been there before. Girl, I could tell you some stories, Sophia replied. Whitaker rolled her eyes in solidarity. Well, this guy came up to me, and he had apparently been drinking since the apocalypse began. I tried to be polite at first, but he wouldn't take no for an answer. Then he made the mistake of grabbing my ass, so I had to teach him a lesson. Did you punch him? Sophia asked, eyes alight with interest. The private chewed her lip. Not exactly. Stop being coy, Landry cut in, clapping her on the shoulder. She fucking leg swept his ass and smashed his face into the bar. It wasn't my fault, Whitaker said quickly. My training just kicked in, and a split second later, he was missing his front teeth, which set off a bar brawl, which expanded into a gunfight, which quickly spiraled into going to war against the, Hammond sighed, the Silver City gang. Just feels so stupid saying that. Sophia shrugged. Trust me, I know. So let me get this straight, Simon said loudly reaching up to grip what little fuzz he had left on his head. The people in my town are gonna die because you got pissed off someone touched your ass? Before anyone could answer, an air horn squawked two short bursts. What the hell is that? Hammond's brow furrowed. Zombie alert, Sophia replied. Two blasts means it's coming from the east. See, so you've brought the gang to our door and now zombies, Simon exploded. Are you gonna go clean up your mess or leave us to do it for you? The sergeant glanced to his team and there was a round of nods. Come on, let's go get this knocked out, he said, and motioned for them to follow. 
Sophia, if you would be so kind as to grab our stuff out of the SUV, you can use the vehicle for your barricade if you want. She shot him a thumbs up. I'll have it waiting for you. Thank you kindly, he replied, and tipped an invisible hat at her. Then he led his team to the Eastern Barricade to clean up their mess. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Corient. Corient provides wealth management services centered around you. They focus on exceeding your expectations and simplifying your life. Corient has been helping high achievers just like you enjoy their lives more fully, preserve their wealth, and provide for the people, causes, and communities they care about. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Corient has deeply experienced teams in 23 strategic locations. Corient has extensive knowledge spanning the full spectrum of plan investing, lending, and money management disciplines. Leverage Corient's exclusive network of experts to craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex they may be. Real wealth requires real solutions. For more information, connect with a wealth advisor today at Corient.com. That's C-O-R-I-E-N-T.com. Corient.com. Chapter 3 Man, we really stepped in at this time, didn't we? Landry asked as they wandered through the tiny town. As they passed the third short street of houses, the eastern barricade came into view, and Mathis shrugged. Hey, at least we're out here doing something, unlike our comrades in arms who ran away with their tails between their legs. That's true, Landry agreed as they left the downtown core, barely three blocks of small storefronts. Whitaker held up a fist. Plus, we're not bored. Always a zombie skull to crush. Always a firefight to get into, Mathis agreed. Landry grinned. Now, if we can just find the place where there's always a stake on the grill, we'll be set. Hey, fucking men, Hammond added as they reached the barricade. There was a chain-link fence across the road. A single older man that looked to be in his 60s, standing there with a metal fence post and an air horn. He was about to squeeze the air horn when he narrowed his eyes at the quartet. The military? Y'all finally get around to rescuing us? Something like that, Landry replied dryly. Hammond motioned to the barricade. We're just passing through, but heard you could use a little help with your zombie problem. He glanced out over the dusty, tree-filled landscape. Speaking of which, where are they? Oh, they're out there, the man replied, puffing out his chest. And bushes over there started moving pretty good just a minute ago. Mathis wrinkled his nose. Great, so we walked over here because of a rabbit? Boy, don't you underestimate them things, the man scolded. They're out there, I promise you that. Hammond put up a hand to stop the private from arguing further. He knew better than to cause any more of a fuss with these people. Whitaker, you're with me, he said, and then pointed to the boys. You two hang out here with our new friend in case some uninvited guests show up. They nodded as the sergeant leapt over the fence, drawing his combat knife, 
Whitaker following close behind. As they approached the tree line, one of the bushes began to shake violently. If that's a rabbit, then it's the biggest goddamn rabbit in the West, Whitaker muttered. They took fighting stances as they approached the bush and then split. At Hammond's nod, she leapt behind it and then immediately stepped backwards, recoiling at something. She waved her sergeant over. Ugh. He grimaced at the sight of a zombie in sweatpants, impaled on a branch, face down, intestines tangled around the sharp tip. Well, that's just disgusting. Do you want to do the honors? Whitaker rolled her eyes. Thanks, Sarge, always the gentleman. She knelt and slammed her blade into the back of the jogger's head, ceasing the thrashing and ending the mystery of the wiggling bush. You get him, Sarge? Landry asked as they casually headed back towards the barricade. Hammond nodded. Yeah, we're clear, unless you see any other bushes moving. The guard shook his head. Nah, just the one. Will you keep an eye out for more, Whitaker said, as she hopped gracefully back over the fence. Any others come and we'll take care of them for you. The guard gave her a little salute and a toothless grin. Thank you, ma'am, I appreciate it. As the quartet headed away, Landry leaned over and whispered, I think he's sweet on you there, Whitaker. I bet you he'd be all about giving you a gum job, Mathis added, waggling his eyebrows. They all shared a disgusted laugh, and the lady in question shivered at the mental image. Well, in a desperate attempt to change the subject, what in the hell are we going to do about this situation? Well, we can get the fuck out of Dodge and go wherever we're going next, Landry replied. Whitaker glanced at the sergeant. You want to tell them, or should I? Wait, tell us what, Landry demanded. Leon called when we were having our disagreement back in town, Hammond said carefully. Landry held out his hands. And? He wants our help assassinating the head of the Rivas cartel, which has completely taken over El Paso. He turned as the two men stopped short, staring at him with open-mouthed shock. They glanced at each other, and then back at their sergeant. Finally, Landry threw up his hands. Fuck it, sounds like a jolly old time. Would definitely go a long way towards boosting the quality of my what did you do during the war story, Mathis added. Whitaker raised an eyebrow. What, you don't think defeating the Silver City gang is gonna resonate enough with the ladies? Shit, he said with a laugh. Ladies hear me say that, and they're gonna be running before I can even make my move. Hammond shook his head. That's why you lead with the alcohol and not the pickup line. See, Sarge, that's why you're in charge, Landry cut in, tapping his temple. Logical thinking. So cutting and running is one option, albeit one I'm not particularly fond of, Whitaker said, steering them back on track. Landry scratched the back of his head. Maybe if we leave, then Dutch and his people will leave this town alone. Or maybe they roll in here and slaughter everyone, Mathis countered. Somehow I don't think the old guy with the fence post or those two teenagers at the front are gonna be much of a defense against the sheriff and his crew. Landry pursed his lips for a moment and then shrugged. Well, fine, let's take him with us then. Aside from the fact that we don't have a working vehicle at the moment, Whitaker replied, let alone a fleet big enough to move a town, what makes you think the people in this town are gonna want to go to a city controlled by a fucking Mexican drug cartel? He shook his head. Yeah, you're right. We're fucking insane, so I get why we're doing it. I doubt they'd see the joy in it. So that leaves us with what? 
Mathis asked. Whitaker held up a fist. Standing and fighting. I agree, Hammond said. But my concern is our ammo. We used quite a bit during that last firefight. Landry motioned towards the first barricade where they'd left their stuff with Sophia. Our ammo bags made it to the SUV, so we should still have a few hundred rounds ready to go. Explosives? Mathis asked. Yeah, I still got some of that C4 left, Landry admitted. But pretty sure I used my last grenade during that gas station skirmish the other day. Hammond stroked his chin. Well, if there is a hundred of them like Sophia claims, then we're gonna have to get real creative with how we take the fight to them. Hell yeah, Mathis exclaimed, holding up his hands. We're gonna be like a zombie apocalypse A-team. Clearly, I'm face. The sergeant grinned. Well, I do love it when a plan comes together. Guess that makes me B.A., Whitaker added. Landry shook his head. Hell no, I'm B.A. You're clearly howling mad Murdoch. How do you figure, Whitaker demanded. I broke a man's teeth out at the bar. Which is exactly why you're howling mad. You started a fucking war over an ass grab, Landry shot back. She opened her mouth and then closed it again, thinking for a moment. Okay, fine, I'll buy that, she muttered. A chuckle rippled through the group, and then a moment of silence as they approached their supplies. So, Landry declared, we're gonna murder a murderous gang before taking on the cartel? Hammond nodded. Just think of it like eating your veggies before getting to dessert. We gotta do some work before we get to have some fun. Chapter four. Did you have any problem with the zombies? Sophia asked as the quartet approached the picnic table she was seated at with Simon. Hammond shook his head. No, it was just one that had impaled itself on a tree, easy enough to take care of. Well, we do appreciate you dealing with it for us, Sophia replied. Old Dwight over there is a good lookout, but not much else. She motioned to the standing soldiers. Please, sit, join us for a bit. The sergeant led the way, sitting next to her. Thank you. She reached under the table and opened a cooler, removing some bottled water and a container of crackers. It's not much, but- It's perfect, thank you, Hammond assured her with a smile, and the quartet dug into the crackers with vigor. If you don't mind me asking, how did you end up in Silver City in the first place? She asked, leaning on her elbows. Did you get separated from your unit? Landry barked a laugh. Yeah, in a manner of speaking. The group shared a hearty chuckle, leaving the duo gaping at them. Wait, are you AWOL? Simon gasped. Yes, sir, we are, Whitaker replied, giving her chest a little fist bump. And proudly so. His gaze darkened. That's nothing to be proud of. Like hell it isn't, Mathis argued. We were ready for the fight when the order came down to evacuate to Kansas. We're not much for running away like cowards, so we decided to fight the war on our own terms. Simon scoffed. So what, you all just ran away at the same time and decided to stick together? No, I recruited them, Hammond spoke up. Both Mathis and Whitaker served under me over in the sandbox. Sophia raised an eyebrow. Sandbox? Yeah, it's a catch-all term for our nation's various misadventures in the Middle East, Mathis explained. We had what, Sarge, three tours together over there? Hammond nodded thoughtfully. Sounds about right. After the second time over there, everything kind of blends together. 
He saved my life a couple of times and been loyal to him ever since, Mathis said. Sophia cocked her head, sizing up Whitaker. What about you? I wasn't aware women were in combat units. Not many of us are, she admitted. I started out as a convoy driver on my first few tours, finally got bumped up to active on my last trip and ended up in his unit. A lot of those in command didn't take kindly to having women in their units, but the Sarge here treated me as an equal from day one. Landry laughed, spitting cracker crumbs on the table. Probably because you had bigger balls than anyone in the unit. Would have been doubly so if you had been with us over there, Landry, she replied, flicking a crumb off of her arm. Sophia pointed between them. Wait, you weren't a part of their unit? No, ma'am, Landry replied after a hearty swig of water. Hammond and I here go way back. We played football together back in Lufkin, Texas. He and the sergeant bumped fists and cried, Go Panthers, in unison. It was just dumb luck that we ran into each other, Landry continued. I got transferred to Fort Bliss a couple of weeks before this shit broke out. We reconnected and hung out some between shifts and whatnot. When he said that we needed to get out, I trusted him. Mathis leaned forward. We loaded up as much ammo and gear that we could carry and hit the road the night before everybody shipped out. And we haven't looked back, Whitaker finished with a grin. Simon sneered. And how have you been fighting the war on your own? We've been killing zombies every single day we've been out here, Whitaker replied. Landry nodded. And now we're about to wipe out a gang that decided it was a good idea to pick on defenseless civilians. Sophia straightened, unable to keep the hope from her eyes. Does, does that mean you're going to help us? Yes, it does, Hammond confirmed. We know we fucked up by bringing the fight to your doorstep, even if it was unintentional. So we're going to stick around and make this right before heading back to El Paso to help a friend out. Thank you so much, she gushed. I don't know how we can repay. Gunshots rang out in the distance and then abruptly stopped. Sounds like the front barricade, Landry said as the soldiers all stood. Hammond waved to him. You and Whitaker on me. Mathis, get in position and wait for my signal. Chapter five. Hammond led his group to the front barricade, surveying the two young men cowering behind it. Andy, Marshall, you boys run along now. We'll take it from here. He rested his assault rifle on his shoulder and hopped up onto one of the barricade vehicles plonking himself down with his legs hanging over the side, raising his chin at the trio of men on the road, standing in front of a black SUV. The boys rushed back down away from the action, and Landry and Whitaker stood in their places. Simon and Sophia stayed behind them, peeking nervously around their new friends. And who might you be? Hammond asked casually, as if they were discussing the weather. The six-foot Latino man in front wore a freshly pressed sheriff uniform, and though he wasn't holding a weapon, his two deputies flanking him gripped assault rifles. I could ask the same of you, soldier, he replied. We weren't aware of any military activity in the area. Don't take this the wrong way, the sergeant said, leaning back on an arm. But we don't exactly report to small-town cops. Small-town sheriff, actually. The man puffed his chest out and patted the badge on his shirt. You may call me Diego, however. All right there, Diego, Hammond replied, pretending to check his manicure. You can call me Sergeant Hammond or Hammond, 
Frankly, I don't give a shit because this isn't going to be a long conversation. Diego sneered. On this point, I agree with you, Sergeant Hammond. In fact, we can make this incredibly quick if you and your friends agree to turn yourselves in to face justice for the murder of nine of the citizens under my protection. Afraid I can't do that there, Diego, Hammond replied with a faux regretful shrug. See, for starters, it was self-defense since they drew first. And secondly, given you boys have already shot at us, I sincerely doubt we'd get a fair trial. Plus, the closest thing we have to a lawyer is old Landry here, and that's just because he's seen every episode of Law and Order. Landry smirked. And as for you, love Benson and Stabler. What, no love for iced tea? The sergeant asked over his shoulder, amused. The private shrugged. Given that he's universally loved, it didn't need mentioning. Well, an SVU as well, Hammond repeated as he turned back to the front, swinging his legs like a kid on a playground. Still, though, I don't think he'd do too well in a trial setting, so we're going to have to humbly decline your offer. Diego scowled. Well, the alternative is that we just skip the trial and go straight to the executions. That's cute that you think the three of you are going to do a goddamn thing against us, Hammond replied. We've already taken out nine of your men today. Why not cut your losses before we make it 11? The sheriff laughed, putting a hand to his stomach. Sergeant, 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 he gasped. Thank you for that. These have been some dark days of late, and I needed that laugh. Perhaps you aren't seeing this situation for what it is. My men are ready to open fire on you and your troops and you're just sitting there like a deer that's unaware of the hunter. Either you have accepted your fate, or you are grossly underestimating my men, which I assure you is a mistake you won't live with very long. You're a cocky son of a bitch, ain't ya? Hammond grinned. Only when I know I have the upper hand. Diego straightened, and his men tightened their grips on their rifles, but didn't raise them. So if there's nothing else, I really do need to get along with my day. The sergeant raised his hand, holding a single finger in the air. I do have one question before you do whatever it is you need to do, he said. Okay, Diego rolled his eyes. Since entertainment these days is severely lacking, I'll let you ask your question. Hammond smiled. Left or right? The sheriff's brow furrowed. I'm sorry, sergeant, I don't understand. Simple, Hammond replied. Left or right? The three men shared a confused glance until Diego finally shrugged and said, left. As soon as he spoke, the deputy to the left lost his head in a spray of blood and bone. Brain matter vaporized and splattered the sheriff's face, and all he could do was stare in shock at his dead comrade. The other deputy cried out and raised his weapon, but his head disappeared in another expert sniper shot covering Diego from the other side. He frantically looked from side to side at the two bloodied bodies crumpled to the road next to him. Hammond casually hopped down from his perch and walked up to him. Now, Sheriff, have I made my point, or do I need to call out center? Diego opened his mouth and then closed it again, raising his eyes to the sergeant, suddenly ablaze with anger. Oh, I can see that look on your face, Hammond said, tisking. I can see the anger coursing through your veins. I'd be willing to wager you want nothing more than to rip me a new one right about now, wouldn't you? He waited a beat, but there was no response. 
Now this is what's gonna happen, big fella. You're gonna hop in your car and go back to town. You're gonna go talk to your master and tell him this town is off limits. And finally, you're gonna tell him that if we see anybody come up that road, that their head will be removed from their shoulders before they get close enough to see the town entrance. Diego shook visibly with anger. You're going to regret this, Sergeant, he seethed and turned and stalked back to his SUV. As he sped off into the distance, Hammond strolled back to the barricade. Do you think he's going to come back? Sophia asked, wringing her hands. Hammond nodded. Oh yeah, a thousand percent. That dude has pissed the fuck off. There's no doubt he's gonna come back to kill everyone here. What the hell, man? Simon screeched. How can you be so uncaring about our safety? Simon, you need to calm down, Hammond said gently, holding out a hand. Landry scratched the back of his head. So what's the play, Sarge? I'm hoping that two firefights in one day is more than they can stomach, which means we're on the clock, Hammond replied. Whitaker raised an eyebrow. You wanna hit them today? Hell yeah, I do, the sergeant replied. They've had two defeats today, so with any luck, they'll take some time to regroup. While they're doing that, we're gonna go in and obliterate them. Whitaker nodded, and then turned as Mathis jogged up from where he'd been hiding. That was some fine shooting, she said. Thanks, he replied with a grin. Mathis, how do you feel about doing some scouting? Hammond asked. He nodded. Just tell me when and where. We need to know where the civilians are in town, and if possible, where Dutch is, Hammond said. Mathis slung his gun over his shoulder. I'm on it, Sarge. Sophia grabbed his arm. Hold on, I can help. No offense, but I'm gonna be moving a lot faster than you're going to be able to. The sniper replied as gently as he could. She put a hand on her hip. Just for that, when this is over, we're racing, she said. But that's not what I'm talking about. I know the city well, and think I know where they might be keeping the civilians and where Dutch might be. I'll draw you a map so you know where to start looking. Mathis smiled. Thank you, he said honestly. Oh, and that race is so on. I'm not backing down from a competition. She gave him a little salute and headed off to a nearby house to grab a pen and paper. How far is it to town? Hammond turned to Simon. He shook his head, crossing his arms nervously. Four, maybe five miles to the outskirts. Time? Hammond asked the sniper. Mathis cocked his head. If I travel light, 30 to 40 minutes, depending on the distance. As soon as you get that map from Sophia, you go, the sergeant directed. Stay on calm, keep us up to date with what you see. Once we know where we're hitting, we'll coordinate a rendezvous point. She emerged with a crudely drawn map and held it out to Mathis. The families are most likely on the east side of town. What makes you think that? He asked, as he studied the squares and rectangles dotting the paper. The high school is there, she explained, pointing to one of the rectangles. So they'd have a fallback position if a lot of those things showed up. Landry nodded. Solid thinking. These are the two biggest areas of town that had businesses, she continued, pointing to the two squares next to it, with this one having city hall. I'd start with that one, since Dutch loves appearances. She pointed next to a line leading to the east side of town. About half a mile down the road here, you'll see a dirt road on the left. It's a four-wheeler trail that will take you straight to the east side of town. The terrain is going to be a little rougher, but it's unlikely that you'll run into much resistance. Mathis nodded. 
Thanks, Sophia. He waved to his crew. Sarge, I'm out. I expect to hear from you in 30 minutes, soldier, Hammond said, and then watched his private take off at an accelerated jog. Landry stretched his arms over his head. What do we do in the meantime, Sarge? We start planning the town's defense, Hammond replied, just in case those bastards decide they want round three today. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Chapter 6 Mathis crouched down as he crested the incline in the trail, the city sprawling out below him. He pulled the sniper rifle from his back and braced himself on one knee to use the scope to scout the area. First, he focused on the school. There were a few dozen people walking about on the baseball field, as well as several armed guards. He hit the communicator on his vest. Sarge, come in, he said. 32 minutes, Mathis, Hammond replied immediately. You're getting slow in your old age. Apologies, Sarge, the private replied. Terrain was a bit rougher than I thought. Hammond made a dismissive noise. It's all good, what do you see? Sophia was dead on about the East Side Civilian Resort, Mathis explained. Looks like they moved everyone into the school and put it on lockdown. There are easily eight guards there, and that's from just what I can see from this vantage point. Looks like that assault route is off the menu, Hammond mused. Any luck on locating Dutch? Negative, Sarge, Mathis replied, shaking his head. That's my next target. Get moving, we're on the clock, the sergeant instructed. The private nodded. On it. He smacked the communicator and then threw his rifle back over his shoulder before darting across the dirt path and into the wooded area overlooking the city. Moving swiftly through the brush, he spotted movement up ahead and flattened himself behind a thick tree trunk. He peeked out and surveyed two zombies staggering about through the trees, bonking into branches and stumbling over roots. Mathis drew his knife and walked in a crouch as silently as he could through the underbrush, skirting around behind one of the creatures. He slammed the blade into its skull and then caught the limp corpse, lowering it gently to the ground. The other zombie turned and spotted him, moaning and holding out one of its hands. Mathis lunged forward and jammed his knife into its eye and broke its fall as well. Just as he lowered the corpse to the forest floor, he heard voices in the distance. He clenched his jaw, not wanting to draw attention to himself. He frantically glanced around and saw an outcropping of rock peeking out through some of the bushes. He quickly grabbed the second zombie and dragged it over to the rock, 
setting it with its bloody eye facing down, goopy blood running down the stone. I swear I heard something up here, a voice said. You're dragging me all the way up here, so you damn well better have, somebody else replied. Mathis grabbed the first zombie and hefted it over his shoulder, jogging as silently as he could towards a thicker bush. He quietly set the corpse down, crouching over it and peering through the thick branches to watch the show. Well, damn, the first man said as he approached the rock. Would you look at that? This sucker brained himself. You ever seen anything like that? No, and frankly, I don't care, the second man replied, sounding utterly disinterested in the scene. Can we get back to our spot now? Dutch is freaking out about that attack this morning, and if Diego sees we're not there. Then we tell him we were investigating a noise, the first man shot back. Which is true, his companion scoffed. Yeah, maybe he'll be impressed about your clumsy zombie. Yeah, whatever, man, come on. They headed back the way they'd come, and Mathis waited for a few tense minutes before breathing a sigh of relief. Not wanting to take any chances, he doubled back half a mile before continuing to move parallel to the city. He stopped in another copse of bushes to point his rifle at City Hall, using maximum magnification to spy through the scope. There were at least a dozen guards outside. Three blocks to the west, there was a large structure that was boarded up with two guards standing outside of it. He hit his communicator. Sarge, the eagle's nest has been spotted. Repeat, the eagle's nest has been spotted. Good job, Mathis, Hammond came back. You have eyes on Dutch? Negative, he replied. But there are a dozen armed men surrounding the nicest looking building in town. If it's not him, it's something equally as important. The sergeant made a noise of approval. Agreed. How is the North looking for an assault point? That's my next stop, Mathis explained. But I did find something else of note. What is it? Hammond asked. The private lowered his rifle and slung it back over his shoulder. A boarded up building three blocks to the west of the eagle's nest. What makes you think it's noteworthy? The sergeant asked. Could be just an abandoned business. Mathis shook his head. Most abandoned businesses don't have armed guards outside of it. What are you thinking? Hammond asked. The private took a deep breath. With as secure as those windows and doors are, my guess is there's something inside they don't want getting out. Wouldn't be the first time they've left zombies in a building, Hammond mused. Might be their last if we can get it open, Mathis added. The sergeant replied, good find. Let me know what you find in the north. 10-4, the private agreed and clicked off his communicator. He got up from his spot and headed west, hoping to find a vantage point to see the road leading into town. It was a short jaunt before he found a hill that would provide the perfect survey, and he crawled to the pinnacle to avoid detection. As he looked through his scope, his heart began to race at the sight of four SUVs loading up with armed men, four in each. The first two vehicles contained men, decked out from head to toe in full SWAT assault gear, led by Diego. The second two contained men with rifles, just as armed to the teeth. Across the road was a makeshift barricade, with half a dozen armed men on it. They waved forward the SUVs, and as the wheels began to turn, Mathis suddenly snapped out of his shock. He slapped his communicator. Sarge, they're coming for you. What? Who is coming for us? Hammond replied. Diego, Mathis huffed, 
and he's bringing the SWAT team. Four vehicles, four men each, front two with SWAT. They're just leaving, so you have maybe five minutes. Hammond grunted. Get back here now. And the communicator went dead. Mathis slid back down the hill as quickly as he could, and when he was out of sight, he leapt to his feet and ran full tilt back towards his team. Chapter 7 Pinos Altos was a flurry of panicked activity. Sophia rushed around, urging civilians into the church in the center of town. Come on, everybody move. They're going to be here any minute, she cried, herding them down into the courtyard, past the houses on either side of the street. Andy and Marshall stopped outside the church, as families filtered by them, heading inside. What can we do? Andy asked. Sophia lifted her chin. You can get inside the church with everybody else. But we can help, Marshall declared. She pointed to the church. This is no time to argue, just get inside. No, we can help, Andy cried, clenching his fists. Hammond stepped away from his team and approached the arguing trio. Boys, you really want to help? Yes, sir, they both said firmly, standing up straight. I need you to get in that church and get to the back the sergeant said, and then held up a hand as their faces fell. There's a door in the back that needs protecting. These guys are coming to hurt people, and you can help stop that. You have the most important job here, which is to keep people safe. If anybody comes in that door, you beat them down. Can you do that for me? The boys looked at each other, and then at Hammond, with renewed vigor. We won't let you down, Andy said, and grabbed Marshall's arm, the two of them running inside. Simon came running up to the sergeant as he rejoined his team, holding a plastic jug. I got as much gas as I could from your SUV. It wasn't a lot, though. Hammond took the container and shook it, noting that it was half full. It's more than enough, thank you. You're welcome, the wiry man replied, apparently all out of venom for the soldiers now that they were about to single-handedly protect the town. Simon, Sophia, you need to get in the church and take cover. Hammond said firmly. The woman in question narrowed her eyes, raising an arm to object, but Simon snatched it and dragged her inside, hissing at her not to fight them. Whitaker, Hammond said, I want you in there too. She blinked at him and then glared, crossing her arms in indignation. Before she could open her mouth, the sergeant put up his hand. I know what you're gonna say and it's not what you think. We need to protect them. And more importantly, we need to buy time so Mathis can get back. 16 against three is a bit much, even for us. How do you want me to play it? She asked, shifting her weight. Hammond motioned to the church. Lay low until someone comes inside. Last thing we want is for them to just fill that building full of lead. I'll make whoever comes inside pay dearly, she promised. The sergeant nodded. I have no doubt. They shared a fist bump, and then she clapped Landry on the shoulder before running into the church and sealing the front doors. So how we doing this, Sarge? Landry asked. Hammond looked around, taking in the big open area in front of the church and the houses on either side of it. There was an embankment of trees that lined the road leading up to it, all the way out of town. Those SWAT guys are gonna be a bitch, he said. That Kevlar can take a beating. Agreed, Landry said. The sergeant shook the gas jug but we can do some Molotov cocktails. I don't see any glass bottles, Sarge, the private replied with a shrug. Shit, 
Hammond pursed his lips in thought. Shooting ain't gonna do any good either. Unless... Landry dug around in his ammo bag and pulled out an innocent-looking stick. We use this. The sergeant's jaw dropped. Where in the fuck did you get a road flare? Remember when I blew up that gas station the other day? Landry asked. Hammond cocked his head. Yeah. If the grenade didn't work, then I was gonna use this. The private held it up with a grin. The sergeant laughed and clapped him on the shoulder. That's why I love you, Landry. Always wanting to blow shit up. He took the flare and jammed it into the handle of the gas can. As he looked around for where to plant it, his companion held out a hand. Wait, wait, unscrew the cap, he said. I got an idea. He pulled a box of bullets from his bag and dumped a few into the jug. Hammond furrowed his brow. What are you doing? We know it's 16 against three, Landry explained. But they sure as hell don't. Once that fire goes, it'll take a minute before these start popping off. They may not hit anything, but they'll sure get their attention. Hammond shrugged. Fuck it, what have we got to lose? After shoving a dozen bullets inside, Landry closed the cap again. You take the east, the sergeant instructed. And I'll take the west. Get in a house and wait for this to blow. Once it does, start picking them off. Priority is the SWAT. Landry took a deep breath. And if they get to the church? Try not to let that happen, Hammond said. It's a long drive to El Paso, and I don't want to have to listen to Whitaker tell us how awesome she is. Landry barked a laugh. As good a motivation as any. They exchanged a fist bump and then parted ways, running to their respective houses as the rumble of vehicles echoed in the distance. Hammond set the jug right next to a tree in direct sight of the house he headed for. He struck the road flare and hauled ass to the house. He threw open the front door and knelt down in front of the front window, taking aim at the jug and waiting. For a few moments, it was eerily quiet, the calm before the storm as the flare just hissed. Soon six men in SWAT gear with assault rifles marched up the road, sweeping every tree as they went, hopefully unnerved by the quiet. Directly behind them stalked Diego, strutting with his chest puffed out as he brandished a pump-action shotgun, flanked by eight good old boy hunters carrying handguns and hunting rifles. The SWAT team moved up, taking defensive positions at the center of the road, with a man on either side protecting the flank in the trees. The sergeant waited patiently, wanting to give it until the last possible second to strike. One SWAT member reached the tree and spotted the light from the flare. He leaned around the trunk and noticed the gas jug and turned to yell to his comrades. Hammond fired. The bullet ripped right through the plastic just above the flare, sending fuel splashing up into the flame. The fireball was huge, engulfing everything within 20 feet of it. The guy who'd found the can disappeared in flames, and the other three in the lead pack covered in napalm. The three absorbed some of the blast, saving Diego and the back three SWAT guys with him from a fiery fate. The first guy fell to the asphalt, and the other three on fire began to shed their gear to try to save themselves. As soon as their helmets came off, Hammond and Landry shot them in the face in quick succession. Take them out, Diego screamed, and the men scattered. The hunters hid behind trees, taking aim at the houses, forcing the soldiers to take cover. 
Hammond dove to the floor as drywall and glass rained around him. He slithered into the living room and peered around the corner, noting that Diego was on his side of the road with a SWAT guy and three hunters. He waited for them to make a move. Diego motioned for the hunters to go first, and as soon as they broke away from the trees, Hammond quickly fired on them. He caught the first guy in the stomach, but had to take cover when the other two began firing on him. It's him, Diego barked. Let's go get him. You push up to the church. You clear those houses. Landry sat back from his window as three hunters broke formation and headed towards his house. He took aim, but they fired wildly on the house, and he lunged for the kitchen to avoid the bullet spraying the front of the building. He landed with a thud and slid into a cabinet, cracking it in two. Fucking hell! He scrambled to a kneeling position and aimed his assault rifle over the island towards the front of the house. The front door nosed open, a gun barrel entering first, followed by the hunter holding it. Landry waited with bated breath as the rest of them came in, hoping that he'd be able to take them all out with a single strike. The hunters spaced themselves out, however, giving the lead hunter time to get across to the living room before they came fully into view. Landry peeked around the kitchen door as the second hunter headed up the hallway towards him. He slunk back behind the wall and drew his knife, ducking back into the shadows as the tip of a gun barrel nosed into the room. The hunter had one foot in the kitchen as he began to turn, and Landry was forced to move, springing up and planting the knife into the bottom of his pursuer's chin. He stared into the man's eyes as he realized his mouth was pinned shut, but managed to pull the trigger on the rifle before the life left his body. He's in the kitchen, one of the other guys yelled, a shot ringing through the living room through the wall. Landry fell into a dead drop to avoid the zinging bullets, shoving the dead hunter as chunks of powder puffed around him. He grabbed his assault rifle and began to fire back into the wall, hoping that at the very least he'd have a moment to collect himself. Fuck, 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 he hissed to himself as he ran out of ammo and he scrambled to eject his mag and grab a new one. He managed to slap one in and cock his gun just as a hunter came through the door. As if on cue, the bullets in the gas container began to pop off, a few of them flying into the front of the house. The hunter startled, turning to look behind him, and Landry took the opportunity to fire several rounds into his torso. As the hunter fell back, dead, his last living companion screamed in anguish, firing panicked, grief-stricken shots wildly into the kitchen. Landry stayed low until the gun clicked empty, but the hunter continued to fire the empty rounds, sobbing as he did so. The private aimed at the clicking noise, honing in on where he thought the man was on the other side of the wall, and pulled the trigger, firing at least six times. He waited in silence, expecting a return burst of bullets, but there was nothing. He crawled as quietly as he could down the hallway and peeked around the corner to see his assailant crumpled in a heap against the far wall. He closed his eyes for a moment, taking a series of deep breaths, and then the sounds of battle outside snapped him back into reality. He checked his gun and got to his feet. Chapter Eight Shit, Whitaker muttered under her breath, as two SWAT members made a direct line for the church. She had been watching from a small window next to the large front doors, fighting her trigger finger to jump out and join the fray. 
She studied their gear, protected head to toe in Kevlar. She slung her assault rifle over her shoulder and drew her handgun and knife, one in each hand. What are you doing? Simon hissed from beside her. Whitaker grinned. They're wearing bulletproof stuff, but a lot of that stuff isn't stab-proof. She held up the knife and then peered out the window again. Keep everyone down and out of sight, no matter what happens. Simon nodded stiffly and rushed to the main area, motioning to the scared civilians lying between the pews like sardines. He crouched out of sight, and Whitaker inched towards the door as the handle began to turn. The lead SWAT guy burst inside, leaping to the left side of the room away from her, his back turned to her location. The second one rushed in, swinging to the right, immediately getting an eyeful of the tightly wound private. She slammed her left arm into the side of his rifle, using the butt of her gun to keep the barrel pointed away from her. She jabbed the knife in between the bottom of his helmet and the top of his vest, landing the blade just above his collarbone. His body seized, squeezing the trigger and firing off a three-burst blast from the rifle, immediately alerting his partner, who whipped around to face her. He immediately fired on her, but she held up the dying man as a human Kevlar shield, soaking up all the rounds with him. She held on tightly and braced herself, able to hold him up despite the force of the attack pushing him against her. After a few more triple round bursts, Whitaker stuck her handgun under her shield's armpit and fired a few times, striking her attacker in the chest. It wouldn't kill, but it at least winded him, sending him staggering back a few steps. She took the opportunity to rush forward, throwing the now dead body at its companion. He tried to recover and fire at her, but the gun clattered to the floor as his buddy hit him hard. He toppled over and used the momentum to shove the body off of his chest, but Whitaker was waiting and stabbed down into his wrist. He screamed in agony, rolling to grab at the knife with his uninjured hand. She flung herself behind his head, snaking an arm around his throat and the other behind his neck, putting him in a tight chokehold. He thrashed, legs flopping around like a fish out of water, but she grabbed one with her calves and began to fold him in half, his stomach straining. Shh, it'll all be over soon, she cooed. Just let the darkness wash over you. She held on for a few moments after he went limp to make sure that he wasn't playing possum. When she was convinced that he was out, she let him fall to the floor and straddled his chest, yanking her knife out of his wrist. She lifted the bottom of his helmet and slashed his throat, sending a copious spray of blood across the stone wall. She turned her red splattered face towards the wide-eyed onlookers peeking up over the last few pews. Whitaker took a deep breath. It was him or us, she declared. I chose us. The awkward silence continued, Simon looking especially horrified at the display. But Sophia stood up and brushed herself off. Thank you, she said. Whitaker nodded and got to her feet. And then a staccato of bullets exploded outside, one of them flying through a window above her head, shattering it. Everybody stay down, she cried waving for Sophia to hit the deck again. The civilians complied, hiding between the seats in their house of God once again. Chapter Nine Diego put his hand on the remaining SWAT member. Let's go, pin him down, but the kill is mine. 
He inclined his head towards the house that Hammond was holed up in, and his partner gave him a firm nod. The SWAT guy rushed out from the cover of the trees, assault rifle raised as he led Diego towards the house, two hunters flanking the door upon approach. The bulletproof shield stepped through the door, sweeping the room. Diego followed right behind him, the two hunters moving close behind him. The living room was wide open with hallways down either side of it towards the bedroom. The kitchen was at the far end, an easy, wide, open concept design, leaving very few places for the sergeant to hide. Diego motioned to the island in the middle, and his lackeys fired off several rounds into the cheap wood. After the island was turned into Swiss cheese, there was silence. He motioned for one of the hunters to check behind it. The man broke from formation, cautiously stalking forward, gun at the ready. He jumped behind the island, firing off one shot just in case, but there was nothing there. He shrugged and shook his head, and then immediately pitched forward as a bullet punched through the back of his head. Hammond fired into the armored beast's chest, sending him staggering back into Diego, distracting them as he killed the other hunter. The SWAT guy opened fire, forcing the sergeant to duck and scramble down the hallway to the bedroom at the front of the house. Diego screamed in anger, turning and aiming his shotgun, firing just as Hammond flew through the air, missing high and hitting the wall above his prey's head. He cocked the weapon and aimed again, but Hammond dove into the bedroom as a shotgun blast tore a giant hole in the drywall. So we meet again, sergeant. Diego called, taking a step forward as he cocked his shotgun again. Hammond sighed as the gas can bullets finally popped off, not doing him much good. It would appear that way, he replied. Only this time, your friend can't help you, the sheriff sang the words like a schoolyard bully. Lucky for me, I don't always need their help, the sergeant replied, and popped up into the hole, firing a few rounds and causing his enemy to take cover. Diego returned fire, not fast enough to take Hammond out, but taking another chunk of wall down. You should know, Sergeant. I'm going to punish you severely for what you've done to my men. I'm going to make you burn, carve you up like a holiday turkey, and make you suffer for each and every life you've taken. Is this speech part of that punishment? Hammond asked Riley. Because if it gets any more cliche, I'm going to put a bullet in my own head just so I don't have to listen to it anymore. Diego growled and fired again, this time blowing a hole in the wall just above the sergeant's head. Hammond immediately popped up and fired several more shots before rushing the window at the front of the house. He dove through, the glass shattering spectacularly, and landed in a roll on the ground. As he flipped over and tried to raise his weapon, he froze, a SWAT member standing above him with a rifle aimed at his head. Drop the gun, or I drop you the guy promised. Hammond pursed his lips and tossed the gun into the grass. The SWAT guy pulled a radio to his lips. I've got him, he said. As they waited for Diego to come out of the house, the sergeant grinned up at his captor. Don't suppose you want to sign up for the military, do you? Pretty sure we can scrounge up a bottle of whiskey as a signing bonus. The man didn't move a hair, simply staring down at his prisoner. Diego strutted out of the house like a prize peacock, standing just out of arm's reach of the fallen soldier. I hope you are prepared to meet your maker, Sergeant, because you'll be meeting him soon, he sneered. Not that soon, motherfucker, 
Whitaker cried, emerging from the church with her rifle aimed. Landry moved beside her, gun up as well, closing the distance between them and the trio. Diego cocked his shotgun and aimed it at Hammond's head. Stop right there and put your weapons down, or I'll take his head clean off. They stopped walking, but didn't lower their weapons. You pull that trigger, and we're gonna end you too, Whitaker warned. Landry raised his chin. That goes for you too, swat boy. Diego wrinkled his nose as he surveyed the situation. How about we strike a deal, he asked. You seem to care about these peasants for some reason. You let us go with your sergeant so he can face trial for the crimes he committed against the Silver City gang, and we leave this town alone. The privates shared a quick glance, and then Whitaker cocked her head. Counteroffer, you suck my dick, and I use my rifle to give you the last facial you'll ever get. Diego snarled and straightened his shotgun arm. But before he could fire, the SWAT guy's body flipped ass over tea kettle, the crack of a sniper rifle echoing through the battlefield. He gaped at the crumpled body in the grass, and Hammond reached up, batting the shotgun to the side, firing the slug into the grass harmlessly as he did so. The sergeant tackled the surprised sheriff, flattening him on his back and then giving him a vicious headbutt. Diego's nose crunched beneath the force of it, blood pouring all over his face as his opponent pinned his arms to the ground with his knees. So you're a fan of slow, painful deaths, are you? Hammond asked and drew his knife. Well, I'm nothing if not generous. He drew the blade down just below his captive's Adam's apple and slowly pushed it in. Diego's eyes filled with fear as he gurgled, blood filling his throat and choking him. His eyes widened, legs thrashing as he panicked. Hammond leaned over, noses almost touching, as he watched the life draining from the self-proclaimed sheriff's eyes and whispered, you should have stayed in your own fucking town. And then he jerked the knife to the side, ripping his throat to shreds. He flopped over onto his back, breathing heavy. Holy fuck, Sarge, are you okay? Whitaker asked as she and Landry ran up to him. Hammond sat up and nodded. Oh yeah, every one of these motherfuckers is gonna die. He glanced over at the other side of the street, where Mathis finished picking through all of the bodies to make sure everyone was actually dead. He strolled up, resting his rifle on his shoulder casually. Pretty good time in there, Hammond said. Mathis grinned. What can I say? I get excited when I get to shoot dumbasses. The quartet broke into a relieved burst of laughter. The doors to the church opened, the civilians heading outside and looking around at the carnage with wide eyes, some covering their mouths. Mother of God, this is horrific, Simon said with a gag. Sophia shook her head. They started this, not us, she said, and marched over to the soldiers. Is everybody okay? Surprisingly enough, I think we are, Hammond replied. Just some bumps and bruises. She nodded and crossed her arms. So what do we do now? I need Simon there to help Landry and Whitaker collect every weapon and bullet from the dead, the sergeant instructed. You, Mathis, and I need to start planning our assault of Silver City. Chapter 10 Okay, Mathis, lay it out for us, Hammond said, leaning over Sophia's map that they'd spread out on the picnic table. 
Simon dropped a handful of weapons on the ground next to them and headed back out to pilfer more from the bodies, leaving the soldiers to their planning party. The school is here, Mathis began as he pointed to the map. It looks like they have moved the civilians in there and have at least eight armed guards keeping watch. It's a good half mile from the center of town, so I doubt we'll have any trouble with them during the assault. What I'm assuming is City Hall is here, two blocks east of the main road into town. If I had to venture a guess, I'd say that's where Dutch is. Landry cocked his head. What makes you think that? Fancy building and at least a dozen guards outside, Mathis explained. It's probably our best bet, unless he's hiding out at the school, which poses an entirely different set of problems. For the time being, let's assume he's in there, Hammond suggested. Worst case is that we take out more of his men. Whitaker raised a hand. We can do some more recon so we know for sure. No time, we're striking now, Hammond said firmly. Landry raised an eyebrow. Sarge, we appreciate the enthusiasm, and believe me when I say we're all about wiping these fuckers out. But you wanna go in now? The sergeant nodded, folding his hands in front of him on the table. Absolutely, we have a short window where we can catch them off guard. They're expecting their men back in the SUVs out front, which means we can roll up to the front gate without them catching on. That gets us in and gives us the ability to potentially recruit some allies. Which would be here, three blocks to the west of City Hall, Mathis added, pointing on the map. Whitaker raised an eyebrow. Who's in there? It's boarded up tight and has guards outside of it, Mathis explained. So we're thinking zombies. Landry scratched the back of his head. So what? We're gonna roll up, take out the two guards, and then pry open the doors? Actually, I was thinking we'd just strap some C4 on the hood, roll it down the street, and then blow the front of the building off, Hammond said with a shrug. Landry grinned, his eyes lighting up like a kid at Christmas. Yeah, I like your idea better, Sarge. So how do you wanna play it? Whitaker asked, leaning forward. You and Landry are going to be on recruitment duty, Hammond said. Free him, lay it wait on the gang response, and then take out everybody. Mathis and I will focus on getting Dutch. And then what? Mathis cut in. Hammond raised his chin. Convince him he needs to call his attack dogs off. And if he doesn't? Whitaker asked. The sergeant shrugged. Then we better hope we have a shitload of ammo. Not the most encouraging of plans. Landry said brightly. If he doesn't call them off, we end him, take out as many as we can, and retreat, Hammond said. With any luck, we'll do enough damage to them that they'll think twice about attacking. Simon approached with another armful of assault rifles. This is the last of them from the house, he said, as he dropped them with the others. The soldiers approached the pile and inspected the hall. Landry started sorting through everything. Seven assault rifles, six hunting rifles, a bunch of handguns and mags, and of course Shitface's shotgun, he murmured, and Whitaker knelt to help him inspect everything. That's good work, Simon, Hammond said, clapping the wiry man on the back. Was there anything in the vehicles? He shook his head. No, afraid not, they were carrying everything they had. Okay, if you wouldn't mind, would you please get the two with the least amount of fuel and get them ready for us? the sergeant asked. We're gonna leave the other two here. Sophia finally spoke up. Aren't you afraid that will tip them off if only two of the SUVs are coming back? A chance we're gonna have to take, Hammond replied. 
We don't have the manpower to drive all four and pull off the plan. Mathis nodded. Plus, we're going to need something to drive out of here once we clean this mess up. The rifles are actually looking pretty decent, Whitaker said, as she turned over the last gun in the pile. Two are totally trashed from the fire. One is iffy, but the other four are usable. There's 15 usable mags that are full, Landry added. Another 10 or so are pretty burned, but with some work we could salvage the ammo. Hammond nodded. We'll each take one and some ammo. Having that burst fire option might come in handy when we're outnumbered. On the plus side, the ratio of good to bad guys has tilted a little more in our favor after this battle, Landry said. I don't think we should be getting excited about the odds going from 25 to 1 to 20 to 1, Whitaker countered with a grimace. Landry clapped her on the back. Come on, it's the little victories. How long do you think it will take you to rig an SUV to blow remotely, Hammond asked. Landry shrugged. Ten minutes, Max? Where you want me to rig it at? Gas tank, the sergeant replied. Nothing wrong with getting a little more bang for our buck. Plus, having it out of sight could be beneficial. The private raised his fist. I'm on it. Whitaker, can you give me a hand? Yep, she replied with a nod, and the pair jogged off towards the SUVs. What do you want us to do, sergeant? Sophia asked, taking a step forward. He offered her a smile. I want you to distribute these weapons to anybody you think can use them without accidentally shooting someone or themselves. Put them at the barricade and gun down anybody that isn't us that comes up that road. I can do that, she nodded firmly. What else? He glanced down at the stack of tech gear Simon had salvaged and dug through for a communicator. He changed the channel to find their frequency and then punched in a code. He held it up to his ear smacking his communicator. Testing, testing. His voice came out of the device, and he held it out to her. Keep this close and listen for my signal. I have this on listen only, so you won't be able to communicate with us. If things go south, though, I can at least warn you. She took it with a reassuring smile. Or if things go well, you can invite us down for the celebration. Love your optimism, he replied with a grin, and turned to the remaining private. You got everything you need? Mathis nodded, his arms full of supplies for himself and the others. Good to go, Sarge. Hammond whirled his hand in the air. Let's get this show on the road, then. Chapter 11 Hammond and Mathis drove the lead SUV, with Whitaker and Landry and the one close behind them. They sped along quickly until the barricade on the north end of Silver City came into view, and slowed to a stop just shy of it. The two hunters guarding the barricade squinted at them, a little on edge as they tried to discern who was behind the tinted windows. Finally, Hammond rolled down the driver's side window and stuck his hand out, waving them over. What do you want? One of the guards yelled. You can come on through. Hammond pointed at him, and then waved again, more forcefully this time. You'd better go, the second guard said. You know how Diego gets when you don't follow orders. The first guard sighed. I really do miss the good old days when he was just an asshole from afar. He shook his head and strolled up to the window. What can I do? Hammond grabbed his shirt and pulled him against the window, discreetly shoving a knife into his throat. He held him up, watching the other guards scrutinize them. He narrowed his eyes and finally straightened his shoulders. Okay, Diego, enough's enough 
he said, walking forward. You can't just abuse people like that. When he was within arm's length of the vehicle, Hammond shoved his charge aside and pointed a handgun at the guard. Put your gun on the ground, or I put you in the ground. Your choice, but make it quick. Just take it easy, bud, the guard replied, immediately holding out his rifle and lowering it to the road. I don't want no trouble. Hammond smiled. Glad to hear it. There any other guards nearby? No, sir, he replied, shaking his head emphatically. Everybody's been pulled back into town. I'm inclined to believe you, especially since you know I'll blow your head off if I think you're lying, the sergeant prompted. The guard nodded so hard, he looked like a bobblehead. Yes, sir, yes, sir, I'm telling you the truth. Okay, settle down, Hammond said. Landry and Whitaker exited the SUV in the back and strolled over to the shaking man. Thanks for getting us a show first, Sarge, Landry declared, checking out the guard from head to toe. Hammond shrugged. Don't say I never did anything for you. How long do you need to get set, Whitaker asked. You got the hardest setup, Hammond said, turning to Mathis. How much time do you need? The sniper pursed his lips. I say we go in ten. Ten it is, the sergeant said. Everybody synchronize. They all hit timers on their watches, and then Landry grabbed the guard by the scruff of his shirt and dragged him back to their vehicle. He shoved him in the driver's seat and then took a fistful of his collar, leaning in close. I'm gonna lay it out for you, bud, he growled, eyes ablaze and voice menacing. I'm gonna be sitting right behind you with a gun in my hand. You fuck up in even the slightest manner. I'm gonna blow your fucking head off. No, scratch that. I'm gonna blow your fucking balls off and then drag you to the closest zombie and feed you to him. Are we clear? Yes, sir, yes, sir, the man cried, eyes wide and watery as he did his bobblehead routine again. Landry let go of him. Good. He slammed the door and got into the back seat as Whitaker slid into the passenger seat. She turned around and gave him a raised eyebrow, her signature, what the fuck was that, look, and he simply gave her a shrug and a sheepish smile. She rolled her eyes at the unnecessarily graphic threat, but couldn't hide the curl of a smile at her excitable companion. He leaned forward and snaked an arm around the seat, planting the barrel of his gun into the guard's crotch. When they start driving, you follow. When they turn left, you turn right and come to a full stop immediately. Any questions? No, no, he stammered, shaking his head. Landry grinned in the rear view. Get going, then. Chapter 12 Whitaker pulled the keys from the ignition and got out of the SUV, Landry following suit from the other side, keeping his gun trained on the terrified driver. Three minutes, Whitaker said, glancing at her watch. I'm going to get in position. Landry nodded. You take the far side, I'll take the near. Let's do it. She bumped his fist and tossed the keys to him before jogging off. Landry stared intently at his watch, and when the countdown hit 60 seconds, he held out the keys to his captive, still shaking in his seat. Okay, here's what's gonna happen, the private said firmly, pointing a finger in the man's face. You're gonna drive real slow up to that boarded up building down there where your friends are hanging out. When you get there, you're gonna stop. Get out all frantic and tell them that somebody is attacking the school. The guard blinked at him. And, and then what? You tell them to get in, then you haul ass over to the school, Landry replied. You don't stop until you get there. 
He swallowed hard. But what do I do once we get there and it's not under attack? Frankly, I don't care, because you'll have done your job, Landry shrugged. Go hide in the school, run out into the desert, whatever. Just think long and hard before coming back here and trying to avenge your buddy. Now start it up and go. I'm on a clock here. The guard pursed his lips, but nodded in acceptance and popped the SUV into gear. He backed up and drove slowly to the end of the block and made the turn. Wow, that dumb son of a bitch is actually doing it, Landry muttered to himself and jogged along behind the vehicle, stopping at the corner of the building to peek around as the SUV headed down to the proper building. The guard leapt out and yelled, waving his arms like a crazy person. And as expected, the two guards from the door headed down to the vehicle. Landry looked down at his watch and pulled out his remote detonator as the second ticked down from 10. At five, the guards noticed him and one of them yelled out. Close enough, Landry muttered and hit the detonator. The SUV exploded in a spectacular display, shattering every window for several blocks, tearing the whole front of the boarded up building clean apart. The three unfortunate humans standing next to the blast were immediately vaporized. Let's get in the building, Landry called, rubbing at his ear as he rushed over to Whitaker's position. I get the sense we're gonna have company coming soon. She shook off the ringing in her own ears and then nodded. The duo jogged up the road and stepped through the shattered bay window, sweeping the area as they entered. Glass crunched beneath their boots as they inspected what looked to be an old general store with clothes, sugary treats, and kitschy knickknacks. They moved back to where the stairs were, rushing up to an elevated vantage point. Whitaker took a position in a window opening closest to the zombie warehouse, and Landry headed over to another at the far end next to the street. See anything? She asked. He leaned and looked down the main road, not seeing much in the darkness. However, the detonated SUV showed movement illuminated by the flames. Holy shit, Landry breathed. They must have had that motherfucker packed to the gills. There are probably a hundred of those things on the road. Whitaker let out a low whistle. Well, keep an eye on them because I don't want to get surprised. He did watching the fresh-released zombie horde pour into the street and filter out. Soon, several sets of headlights caught his eye on the road leading from the high school. Be ready, we got us a convoy, he warned, squinting as the vehicles got closer. Two broke off and turned towards City Hall. Looks like we got four incoming vehicles. Let's wait till they park them and get out, Whitaker suggested. Yep, Landry agreed. Shoot the vehicles and then turn towards them to strand them, and hope our allies help us out. She nodded. Good a plan as any. The SUVs tore around the corner and parked almost right outside of the general store, forming a makeshift barricade. Five men from each vehicle leapt out and took firing positions. Some looked like hunters, some just like average civilians dressed in jeans. But some were uniformed officers, likely working under their beloved sheriff. Wait for them to fire, to cover our noise, Whitaker said. Landry nodded. Following your lead. She aimed through her rifle, focusing on the vehicle closest to her. The men down there were behind their cover, waiting for the zombies to get closer to them. The corpses stumbled around half a block away, slowly moving towards the still warm cars. Finally, somebody yelled, fire! And the men did so, 
taking out a few zombies in the front line. As the zombies got closer, the shooting became more sporadic, and the soldiers took the opportunity presented to them. Whitaker hit the engine block with a precise round before moving and punching a hole through a hunter's head. The sudden crumpling body caused the man next to him to look around frantically and turned his face just in time to take a bullet in it. Landry took out two men on the other side with a few well-placed shots, but the bodies falling caused another man to turn and fire up at them, making both soldiers duck back for cover. Bullets shredded the wooden exterior of the building, splinters and dust flying everywhere. Landry peeked up over the windowsill, noting that there were 16 men remaining, and they were all focused on the soldiers above. He fired a few more times, quickly catching one guy in the shoulder and spinning him around. Several of the men yelled and tore towards the general store. Whitaker, they're coming for us, Landry screamed. I got him, she called back, and stayed low heading for the stairs and swapping out for one of their pilfered three-burst assault rifles. At the top of the stairs, she aimed down, watching the flickering of lights moving about in the store. When the flickering moved away from the stairs, she rushed down and dove behind a barrel of candy. She peeked around the edge of the barrel, noting four men aiming carefully at the stairwell, walking forward in a straight line. Almost at the floor, she fired at the man on the right, cutting him almost in half with a trio of bullets. She's by the stairs, get her, one of them cried, and the remaining three men opened fire. Whitaker flattened herself on the floor, slithering to another vantage point. She hopped to her feet behind a clothing rack, rushing towards the front of the store in an attempt to flank them. They finally stopped firing on the barrel, brightly colored sweets spilling out all over the floor. They moved forward, shoes crunching on sweets, and Whitaker popped up behind them, wasting no time unleashing another three-shot burst. Two bullets hit center mass on one man, the third hitting the middle guy's shoulder, spinning him around with the force of it. He raised his weapon, but she tore him to shreds with another burst, and the last hunter lunged for her, yelling something unintelligible in his anger. He fired wildly, and she took cover under a display of china plates. As they shattered into pieces, Raining down on her, there was a blast of red, and then everything went quiet. Whitaker peered over the counter. Will you come on? It's a fucking war up here, Landry cried from the staircase and ran back up to his spot. She shook her head, vaulted over the display, and ran up the stairs, switching back to her main assault rifle as she took a knee next to her partner. The zombies had overtaken the position below, men fallen beneath their gnashing teeth. On the plus side, there shouldn't be enough of them left to be runners when they reanimate, Landry joked. Whitaker furrowed her brow. I only count four, where did the rest of them go? A shot whizzed by her head, causing her to duck back behind the window. Seems as though they liked our idea about getting to the second floor, Landry replied. He leaned out and popped off a few shots, but didn't hit anything of substance. How do you want to take them out, she asked. He motioned to the street. I think our biggest concern right now is gonna be the zombies finding their way into the shop. I'll cover the stairs if you wanna keep an eye on them, Whitaker suggested. I'm good with that, Landry agreed, and pulled out an extra magazine and held it out to her. Just in case. She nodded and took it, staying low and pressed against the wall as she made her way back to the stairwell. She sat up in a dark corner out of view of the windows and aimed her rifle down the stairs, 
awaiting any shambling debt that came her way. Chapter 13 Mathis snaked his arm through a broken window and unlocked the back door of a building at the far end of the street, opposite City Hall. He drew his knife as he silently closed the door behind him, just in case there was company inside. It looked to be a two-story clothing store, and as his eyes adjusted to the darkness, he nearly stabbed a mannequin next to him. When he realized that the unmoving humanoid shapes were all displays, he moved through them to the stairs and worked his way up to the second floor, setting himself up at the window farthest from the target. He peered through the scope and took in the street before activating his communicator to radio Hammond outside. Locked, loaded, and in position. Call it out, the sergeant replied quietly. Four guards by the entrance, Mathis said. Two more on the second floor catwalk, half a dozen guards in the street. Can you see inside? Hammond asked. The private scanned the building, but the windows were curtained. He could make out a few shadows moving around on the second floor, but nothing concrete. Shadows only, he reported, but there is movement on the second floor. When we get Landry's signal, you take out the ones on the second floor first, Hammond instructed. Then whoever looks like they're about to shoot me next. Mathis cocked his head. What are you going to do? There was a pause before the sergeant replied. I'm thinking kamikaze to the building across the street. I'll distract them while you pick them off. You're a goddamn maniac, Sarge, Mathis laughed. Hammond barked his own laugh back. Make sure they put that on my tombstone. One day, many years from now, I will make sure that happens, the private promised. Love the optimism, Hammond replied. 60 seconds, let's get in position. The sergeant hopped into the SUV he ducked behind, single shot rifle on his back and the three burst rifle on his lap. He kept his hand on the ignition, muscles tense as he watched his clock. He began to count down from 10, but before it got all the way down, the vehicle shook from an explosion a few blocks away. God damn it, Landry, he muttered, and ducked as all the windows on the street shattered from the shockwave. Shards rained down on the asphalt as Hammond started the vehicle and slammed it into gear, hitting the gas. He screamed down the street, and the frazzled guards took notice, firing on him. The sergeant sat low in his seat, keeping his head down and looking through the steering wheel and over the dash like a little old lady driving to church on Sunday. The windshield cracked as a few bullets ripped through it, and he skidded to the left, pointing himself at the building across from City Hall. Thankfully, there were no zombies coming out of it, and his only opposition seemed to be a single guard firing at him from behind a trash can. Hammond steered towards him, slamming into the can. Before the guard could leap out of the way, he met his fate, crushed between garbage and a brick wall. Hammond grunted as he flung forward violently, regardless of how well he'd braced himself for impact. He dove from the vehicle just as bullets peppered the outside from across the street and managed to slip into the store, hitting the deck. He lay flat on the wooden floor, bullets flying over his head and ripping through displays and wooden support beams above. He waited, listening for Mathis' cracks to take out more of his attackers. When the bullets stopped flying his way, assumedly pointing towards the sniper, the sergeant popped up and skidded back outside, taking cover behind the Swiss cheese SUV. 
He peeked out, noting four guards still standing. Two were in the doorway firing towards Mathis, the other two in the street trying to drag wounded comrades back to safety. Hammond rushed out and opened fire, shredding the guard closest to him, and then filled the doorway with lead, dropping both guys there as Mathis blew open the head of the last remaining guard, who died while fumbling with his weapon. The sergeant made it to the door and smacked his communicator. I'm heading in, cover the outside. If someone approaches you, make them regret it. And if a lot of someone's approach, you let me know about it. Go get him, Sarge, Mathis replied. Hammond reloaded his weapon to make sure he was ready for whatever forces he was about to face. He pushed through the door into the large lobby of Silver City Hall. He swept the area, noting the open space with offices on either side. The stairwell lay ahead, and the whole area was eerily quiet. Guess they're all waiting for me upstairs, he muttered to himself and shook his head, keeping his weapon aimed and at the ready. When he got to the landing, it broke off to the right and left, providing two ways up. He rushed up the right and took cover in the corner, inspecting the set of double doors at the top that presumably led to the main offices. Sarge, we got trouble, Mathis came through. Two vehicles headed your way. Hammond kept his voice low. Pin them down if you can. Shoot anyone who gets close to the door. Consider it done, Mathis replied. Hammond slowly approached the door and paused at the sound of a sniper shot from outside. He smiled slyly to himself, confident that Mathis had his back. He knelt beside the door and gently pushed it open. As soon as it slivered open, bullets smacked into it. He gave it another gentle push, and it was nearly torn to shreds with another volley of bullets. Third time's the charm, he muttered, and readied his assault rifle in one hand before pushing the door one more time. More bullets tore through it, but as soon as it stopped, he leapt inside, guns blazing. He fired wildly as he burst into the room, a large office facing the street. There was a metal desk ahead of him, and he dove behind it for cover. He waited for another volley of bullets, but it never came. He lay down and slithered to the edge of the desk, peeking out at the back wall. There was only one portly man back there, struggling to get to the window. Hammond furrowed his brow and slowly got to his feet, staying crouched as he swept the room. It was empty save for that man. He wore a cowboy hat and gator skin boots, one of which was drenched in blood as he dragged it behind him. The sergeant stalked over and grabbed him by the collar, wrenching him back inside the busted window. You must be Dutch, he said, voice as conversational as if they were discussing the weather. The man's eyes went wide, and he looked like he was about to shriek like a little girl. Please don't hurt me, he cried. I'll do anything you want. Well, first off, I want you to calm the fuck down, because I don't want you to piss on me, Hammond said and waited for his captive to take a deep breath. The shred of calm didn't last long, as another sniper round cracked outside. You hear that? That's another one of your men dying in the street below. You think they're gonna come save you, but they're not. Your fat ass is all mine. Dutch shook his head, quivering in his overly expensive boots. Please, what do you want? You got a radio to your men? The sergeant asked. The cowboy nodded pointing shakily to the table a few feet away. There, he said. Tell your men to stand down, Hammond instructed, 
and dragged him over to the lone walkie-talkie sitting there. But your people will kill them, Dutch argued. If they lay down their weapons, my men won't do a thing. Unlike you, we're not cold-blooded murderers, Hammond replied and lifted his gun, pressing the cold barrel against his prey's temple. He lowered his voice an octave. Although if you don't do as I ask, I will make an exception. Dutch panicked and fumbled the radio, finally picking it up and hitting the button. This is Dutch. Everybody lay down your weapons. This is an unconditional surrender. But sir, if we put our weapons down, we're going to die. A shrill voice came back. This is an order, Dutch demanded. Put your weapons down. The military isn't gonna hurt you. We're not fighting the military, the voice replied. The cowboy stared up at Hammond helplessly, confusion in his gaze. The sergeant rolled his eyes and smacked his communicator. Hey, Landry, you copy? The private came back immediately, gunfire in the background. Not a great time, Sarge. Y'all got zombie problems? Hammond asked. Ten motherfucking four, Landry replied. They must have had 500 of those things in that building. We got them pretty well stacked up on the stairs here, but we gotta keep at it. Hang tight, Hammond said, and released his communicator, turning to Dutch. Introduce me to your men. The cowboy nodded jerkily, pressing the button. Okay, men, this is the military. They're in charge now. Everybody listen up, Hammond took over, speaking quickly but firmly. This is Sergeant Hammond. My men are spread out in this town, some of whom are fighting zombies just like you are. You are to work together to eliminate the threat. However, if any of you even think about taking a pot shot at one of my men, just know that I have the resources to completely level the school where your families and friends are currently taking shelter, and you'd better goddamn believe I will give that order. Does anybody have any objections to that? There was a moment of silence, and then a chorus of, no sir, came through from various voices. Good, now we're sending in some reinforcements your way, so just keep holding out. The sergeant dragged Dutch over to the broken window and looked out at six men cowering behind an SUV. Hey, assholes, did you not hear me on the radio that we're sending reinforcements to fight the zombies? That means you, go, now, three blocks over, and remember what I said about the school. They furiously nodded and scrambled to get into the SUVs, speeding off towards the zombie fight. Hammond turned back to his captive. Now, Dutch, you and I are gonna have a chat about the nice people just up the road that you seem to enjoy terrorizing. Do you wanna give me a lame excuse as to why you've been doing that? Or do you wanna just go straight to groveling for forgiveness? Oh God, I'm so sorry, Dutch blurted, pressing his hands together in prayer. It, it was all Diego, he just didn't. Hammond put his finger to the man's lips. No, no, try again. He raised an eyebrow. Actually, you know what? I think you owe everyone an explanation for your actions. And I stress, your actions. After our people finish up with the zombies, we're gonna have a little assembly up at the school. In the meantime, think long and hard about what you're gonna say. As if your life depends on it. He winked. Dutch drew in a raw, ragged breath, eyes wide as saucers. Hey Landry, you there? Hammond asked into his communicator. Yeah, Sarge, came the reply. Without taking his eyes off of Dutch, he asked, how we looking? Pretty good, actually, Landry said. Looks like the reinforcements you sent did a good job of breaking these fuckers up into multiple packs. We should have them cleared out here pretty soon. 
Good, when you're done there, escort everybody up to the school, Hammond instructed. You got it, the private came back. The sergeant raised his own radio to his lips. And Simon, Sophia, I know you're listening. If you would, please join us in half an hour. He dragged Dutch after him as he stalked towards the door. Come on, we have an assembly to prepare. Chapter 14 The civilians in the school took their seats in the auditorium at the school, and Hammond couldn't believe how normal it all looked. If it weren't for the blood-splattered hunters and policemen filing in, it almost would have seemed like a regular pre-apocalypse PTA meeting. I'm so happy you're okay, Sophia cried, as she and Simon rushed up the center aisle to the stage. Landry nodded from the side of the stage, assault rifle in hand, just in case any trouble cropped up. So are we, he replied. Were any of you hurt? Sophia looked to his companions. Whitaker grinned. Nothing that won't heal. Come on, we should take our seats, Simon said, and took her hand, pulling her towards a row of empty chairs. We'll talk after, Sophia said, excitement in her bright eyes. She pointed at Mathis. And you still owe me a race. He chuckled, looking forward to it. When the congregation was seated, murmuring and whispering to each other, Hammond finally dragged Dutch onto the stage and shoved him towards the microphone. The fat cowboy wrung his hands, sweat clear on his brow as he opened his mouth to speak. Hello, hello everyone, he greeted, voice timid. This is Dutch, your leader. I am, I am here tonight to... He looked back at Hammond and grimaced at his hard glare. I am here tonight to confess my sins. In a misguided attempt to preserve our resources, I have been ordering Diego to isolate a survivor group to the north of us. This escalated today when a simple bar brawl between some drunks and these military members turned into a full-scale war. Due to my foolishness, so many good people d died today. I he swallowed hard, voice going thick. I'm so sorry for the families who lost fathers and brothers and sons due to my wrongheadedness. I, I wish I could take it all back. I, I wish I could make things right. He began to cry, but the sobs seemed forced to the sergeant. Hammond looked out into the audience, seeing true tears from the shocked faces of the scared families. He stepped forward and confronted the man, who, in his opinion, was far less sincere than he should have been. Is that all you have to say, Dutch? He asked, voice hard. Ah, um, ah, the cowboy stammered. Oh, I would also like to welcome our new friends from the north to join our community. Hammond crossed his arms. Because this is a welcoming community now. Oh, yes, this is absolutely a welcoming community, Dutch replied, nodding vigorously. Any survivors that come our way, we will welcome them with open arms. Hammond looked out to the audience. Does anybody have a problem with this? He asked, and the crowd replied in the negative, almost in unison. Good, good. I'm glad to hear that everyone in this community is on the same page. That from here on out, you'll be welcoming of newcomers and not exclude and terrorize outsiders. You see, Sergeant, Dutch piped up, voice more confident now. 
we can turn over a new leaf, and I will personally ensure that every last civilian from Pinos Altos finds a safe place to live within our community. I'm pretty sure you should delegate that, Hammond replied immediately. He stared the man down, expectant, until Dutch understood what he meant, and flailed his arms until a skinny man in a suit strode up onto the stage. The sergeant cocked his head. This is your second in command, since Diego is gone? Oh yeah, he's very capable and a great leader, Dutch replied quickly. This town is lucky to have him then, Hammond replied, because they're gonna need a good leader. He pulled his handgun and immediately fired, shooting the cowboy point blank in the face. Blood sprayed across the stage, soaking the man in the suit, and many in the audience screamed. The privates held out their hands to calm people down, and soon the room fell silent again, so silent that when Hammond raised his hand to wave over the man in the suit, the sound of his shirt sleeve rustling echoed. What is this town now? He asked. The man hesitated and then slowly leaned into the microphone, clearing his throat. Well, welcoming? There it is, Hammond exclaimed, spreading his hands, making the new leader flinch. This town is welcoming. Now tomorrow, my friends and I are leaving this town, and assuming you all behave, none of you will ever see us again. However, and let me be crystal fucking clear on this point, because it's an important one. If we get word that this town is no longer welcoming, well... He pointed to Dutch's corpse. You see that fat sack of shit that's missing a face? That's going to be whoever isn't playing nice. Does anybody have a problem with that? Nothing. I'm gonna take your silence to mean that nobody has a problem with it. He walked away from the mic and pointed at the bloody suited man. You, with me. The man didn't waste a second, rushing after the sergeant and hopping down to join the cluster of soldiers. Hell of a speech there, Sarge. Landry said. Hammond grinned. I'd like to think I got my point across. Well, if you didn't, then I'll be the first to tell you about it, Sophia said with a wink. New leader, this is Sophia and Simon, the sergeant motioned to the couple. First thing in the morning, you're gonna grab a few unarmed men to go up there and help them move down here. And just in case you wanna get some cute ideas about eliminating them after we've left, if I don't hear from her, we're coming back. Do you understand? The man nodded. Yes, yes, sir. Good boy, Hammond replied and waved him off. Run along now, you have work to do. He nodded emphatically before scampering off, melting into the crowd filing out of the auditorium. I can't say I agree with all of your tactics, Simon said slowly, eyeing the body on the stage. But I can't argue with your results. He extended his hand and they shook. I'll get your car ready to go. Sophia shook Hammond's hand as Simon headed off. It might be a good idea for you all to stay the night at our place, she offered. We will make sure you have armed guards outside. While I'm pretty sure you scared them straight, I'd rather not take chances. That's very kind of you, thank you, Hammond replied. The thought of a safe night's rest had him feeling heady. Before you go, however, I was wondering if I could borrow Mr. Mathis for a moment, she said. I need a hand with something. The sergeant inclined his head. He's all yours. As they left, Landry turned to Hammond and spread his arms, eyes wide. Okay, how in the holy fuck did we survive that? Maybe we're better than we think we are? The sergeant asked. Speak for yourself, Whitaker scoffed. 
I know damn well how good I am. Gotta love that modesty, Landry said. Come on, let's head out to the SUV and get loaded up. Hammond laughed and rubbed his face. I don't know about you guys, but I could use a nap. A fucking men, Landry agreed. Outside, Simon and a civilian were loading some gas cans into the back of the SUV. What's this? Hammond asked, motioning to the load. Simon smiled. I was getting this packed up when these two gentlemen came up with an offering. The soldiers tensed, and the two men held their hands up in surrender. We come in peace, one of them said. Just wanted to show our thanks for getting rid of Dutch. The second one nodded, taking his hat off and clutching it in his hands. That sack of shit was bleeding this town dry, soaking up all the resources for himself. Motherfucker was planning a purge in the near future of those who didn't pledge loyalty to him, the first one added. Thanks to you, he might have a chance at surviving this, his companion said. You have safe travels now, and watch it out there, not every place is as friendly as Silver City. The tension fizzled out into chuckles as the soldiers stepped forward to shake their hands, and then they parted ways. Are we ready? Whitaker asked. Landry shook his head. Not yet, Mathis isn't back from helping Sophia. Where the hell are they? Hammond asked, and then a roar of cheers rose up across the parking lot. The soldiers strolled over and dissolved into laughter as they saw the track through the fence. Sophia and Mathis were neck and neck all the way around, and she pulled forward at the last moment, crossing the finish line first. They both slowed down, chests heaving, and shook hands. Told you I could keep up, she huffed. He grinned, wiping the sweat from his brow. I'll never doubt you again. Shit, Mathis, Landry bellowed as the duo approached them. Maybe we should leave you here and take her with us. I don't think that would be fair to the cartel, Mathis replied. Gotta give them a fighting chance after all. They headed back to the SUV, and the soldiers got inside. Whitaker cocked her head as the duo stayed standing. Not coming with us, she asked. Sophia shook her head. No, the new leader wants to help us get set up here, and we accepted, she explained. But Andy and Marshall have your room set up in our house, and we'll stand guard tonight for you. If you need anything, Hammond began. She nodded. I know how to reach you. He smiled and nodded at them, and then started up the vehicle, pulling away from the town. So how far is El Paso from here? Landry asked. Whitaker pursed her lips for a moment. Couple hundred miles, give or take. Might be a bit longer since we can't go straight through, Hammond replied. Leon is gonna talk us in tomorrow. But first, Whitaker held up a hand. We're gonna have ourselves a nightcap. Landry clasped his hands together. For the love of God, though, nobody touch her ass. I need some sleep before I have to kill someone else. The soldiers laughed as they drove off into the darkness. End of book nine. Coming soon. The action heads back to Portland as Zion works to unify the survivor groups. Save big on Brunch for Mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson Natural Boneless Chicken Breasts for two forty nine dollars a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger, less than five miles away. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. 
Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.